0: I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather. Now at ChumpaCasino.com. Welcome to the family.
1: VGW Group. No purchase necessary. Avoid where prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Oh, we missed you this past weekend. What happened this weekend? This past week? Oh, when we were up at Eric's.
0: Oh, oh, oh yeah, yeah. When you guys uh, did your um, the end of uh, Julius Caesar, the play, on me.
1: <laughs> Stabbing you right in the back? Yep. <laughs> i think it's abf's
0: fault (laughs) well i think you guys know my schedule well ahead of time and decided hey let's plan something for when len's not around
1: Ooh, no we didn't do that
0: Mm, i don't know my schedule (laughs) schedule is out there for all to see
1: what's up everybody you are listening to the philadelphia sports table podcast show the longest running weekly philly sports podcast show in the world thanks so much for joining us this week it is wednesday july 10th 2019 we're going to be getting into a ton of philly sports as we always do on this show i'm jeff warren and as always i'm here with my good buddies len hunsecker and eric leonard len how are you my man
0: I'm doing okay. Hopefully uh, you guys are doing well as well.
1: Absolutely. We actually recorded our interview prior to doing this first part of the show here, and uh, we missed you on that, Eric. We definitely missed you.
2: Oh, you didn't miss me. I know nothing about Flyers hockey, so <laughs> no not <one> miss me. <laughs> no, we definitely did miss you but uh, we do
1: have a jam-packed show and we got to get into it right off the bat the interview with charlie was fantastic and quite frankly it was a little over like 35 minutes because it was just really really good talk and discussion about what's going to happen with this flyers team right off the bat yes charlie o'connor from the athletic philadelphia and broad street hockey radio that podcast he is uh that interview is what we're throwing down on the table this week we're going to be getting into sixers talk jake arietta Going to be talking about the hype heading into this Eagles season. Our highbrow segment is going to be great. Our lowbrow segment, I think, is going to be pretty fantastic. So let's get into this show. First and foremost, we really wanted to give a shout out and thank the guys over at the Philly Special Podcast who left us a great review. On Apple Podcasts saying, great show for Philly sports, engaging hosts, and interesting topics. Five stars for sure. So I want to thank the guys over at the Philly Special Podcast. Hopefully we'll be uh, doing some collaborating with them. Maybe uh, they come on our show. We'll be on our, on their show at some point down the road. But check them out again, the Philly Special Podcast. And if you are so inclined, leave us a review, rate the show on Apple Podcasts. We would greatly appreciate that. It does go a long way. And guys, we got some... Listener feedback from a gentleman named Ryan and he asked us the question, greatest baseball player to never win a championship. He says, I was wondering what you guys thought about this. The two names that come to my head are Tony Gwynn and Ken Griffey Jr. Love the show. Regards, Ryan. Ryan, thanks so much for emailing us. You out there can email us too. Feedback at com. We'd love to hear from you. Read your email as we just did with Ryan's. And for me, guys, it's Ken Griffey Jr. I mean, it's no secret. I've talked about on this show how in the AL, I kind of still root for the Mariners. And that goes back to my days of loving Ken Griffey Jr., what he meant to the game. He wasn't one of those steroid-taking guys as far as we know. And I do believe that he was not. But what a dominant Dominant baseball player in so many ways, and I, I do think he's probably the greatest to have never won a championship. Len, what do you think? Do, would you agree that it's Ken Griffey, or might it be Gwyn?
0: Well, I thank you somebody Ryan, else. for the question. Yeah. But, um, how do we know he's a gentleman? You called him a gentleman up front.
1: Well, I don't know.
0: Uh, I don't, I'm just kidding. I'm guessing. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm gonna go uh, a little bit older. Um, and and either those are good choices. First of all, uh, Griffey or Tony Gwynn. Uh, I will probably go Ted Williams. Uh, he never won oh, one. There you go. Um, you know, the, the, they had that run there where you know, un, oh God, Boston didn't win anything. Um, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Uh, but yes. yeah, he. I would say probably Ted Williams. Ted Williams,
2: I think that's a good pick. What do you think, Eric? Oh, Boo hoo. Boston didn't win
0: something.
2: <laughs> yes. uh, I, I, a bunch of names popped into my head, uh, and di- just from different eras. Ted Williams was one, Ernie Banks, Don Mattingly, Rod Carew, yeah, you know, for these 80s. 80s. Um, I got to say, the, the two that really struck me with me and Ken Griffey's a great one and he I don't, I don't know how the Mariners didn't win one while he was there with those lineups I mean know just, um but the, and one of them is a Mariner uh Ichiro never won a a, a yeah. title and that 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 stinks just for how great he was and here's here's actually the first name that popped in my head even though he's one of the most hated baseball players in history Barry Bonds never won a, a title <laughs> Yeah I mean we all know the, the controversy around him, but, man, he he was so good for so long before that nonsense, and for him not to win anything is just kind of crazy.
0: Absolutely. Again, well, speaking of um, oh, okay, hated, uh, hated guys, Ty Cobb, although he did win the championship <laughs> of going into the crowd and fighting fans. He yeah. did, and being the worst racist. And, yeah, being a horrible racist. <laughs> yes. He won that championship, too. <laughs>
1: Again, feedback at philadelphiasportstable.com. Shoot us off an email. We'd love to read it here on the show. But guys, really want to get into some Sixers talk because we now know news came out this past week. Kawhi Leonard's going to be heading to the Clippers. And at this point, what does this do for the Eastern Conference? And right now it seems that there are three teams that will be contending this upcoming season for that Eastern Conference supremacy. You've got the Milwaukee Bucks. The Brooklyn Nets now, of course, because of Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, and, of course, our Philadelphia 76ers, guys. The Kawhi news was so huge. And I know, Eric, you and I talked this past weekend when we got together with our families just about how incredible this now is for the Eastern Conference and just how it really kind of shook up, and, and even even out in the West, how the, what this does for the West. But in terms of top teams I mean, I'm thinking the Sixers are actually a top-two team at this point, if if not the team in the Eastern Conference that uh, is going to be heading into the playoffs potentially this coming season. You'd agree probably, right?
2: Uh, I'd I put the Sixers number one uh, kind of like right now as they're structured and the rest of the teams. I'd I put them number one pretty easily. <clears throat> I appreciate the article and the writer, the points he was trying to make, but I don't agree at all that the Nets are contenders this year without KD. Um, they swapped out D'Angelo Russell for Kyrie Irving, which is an upgrade. Um, but they brought in DeAndre Jordan, and Garrett Temple. Like those were their other two moves. Like I, the way that team is constructed, like does that scare you at all? Like, no, I, no. It it doesn't scare me either. I, they're going to be better, but I, I wouldn't put them as contenders. When we played them, you know, they took us six games. But I was never in fear that we were going to lose. Uh, we we're going to lose that series. Uh, and for the Bucks, I think replacing Brogdon with essentially West Matthews is a huge downgrade for that team. Um, he, he, Brogdon was a legit defensive player, and uh, his offensive—he he could hit three pointers. M- Matthews just can't even replace ten percent of that defensively. Honestly, I think Boston is going to be really good again. And have, yeah, and they have plenty of assets to make a move during the season for the you know that eventual unhappy superstar. Uh, and I, this is the one team I think could get scary again. I, I think, don't count out Toronto. I, I don't think, I think it's still on the table. that it, uh, A jury, Masai, a jury is going to make a move. He's one of the best GMs. He's not afraid to try anything. I'm very intrigued with what's going on in OKC and what happens next with Westbrook. I, I honestly think that could be a landing spot for Westbrook in Toronto. Um, they could flip, they could oh. easily, they could flip Lowry's expiring contract in a pick or two for Westbrook. It put OKC in a luxury tax and you replace Kawhi with obviously not you're not getting the same player back defensively, but you have another superstar there and then you have some room to maybe maneuver. I I, I would not put that past Toronto and that might put them up in like the three spot ahead of Boston.
1: Okay, Len 76ers starting group. We know it's going to be Richardson, Tobias Harris, Ben Simmons. Al Horford, Joel Embiid. Then you've got second year guard Zaire Smith, who we know is voted most athletic player in 2000 or during the 2018 NBA draft process. And we've seen him doing some pretty nice things so far this summer. Sixers have to be right at the top in the Eastern Conference. But as Eric's saying, it's really going to be interesting to see what other moves are made by these other teams. What are you thinking at this point?
0: Yeah, I, I mean, at this point, I. I yeah, there are three teams. I think it's the Sixers, the Bucks, and the celtics. I, I, don't, I don't I'm not as scared of Toronto if they were to get Westbrook only because i I just don't think Westbrook is a winner. Um, I, I don't know if he's enough to, you know, to take that team to the championship. Um, I think that this should be, you know, the Sixers year. I don't like James Ennis today coming out and saying we're going to walk to the finals in the East um that screams of dream team um you know for for you eagles fans out there that that kind of talk but i do think that um that the sixers are probably eric would you agree like d- does this year have a bit of urgency to it with the sixers like do they need to get there this year i uh, i'd say
2: when you sign a a 33 year old power forward to 100 million dollars yeah that's, Plus,
0: this is the year, and I'm not saying that you know KD is going to be the end-all, be-all, but you've got a year without having to contend with him completely. It feels yeah. like you know it's got to happen this year.
2: I oh, know it, it definitely flipped when, and it definitely uh, it got even more urgent when Kawhi went went west. That was oh, absolutely yeah. Now it's you had a two-year window; they still have a two-year window, but now this year is just huge,
0: especially without KD. Yeah, I, I just feel like if, if it's going to happen. It's going to happen this year.
1: Yeah, Uh, and I think what's also going to be interesting, at least at the beginning of this season, is seeing how Al Horford, how he fits with Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons. Mike O'Connor from The Athletic wrote a really good article this past week about the Horford-Embiid pairing and also the Horford-Simmons pairing and what this is going to give to the team. And I think inevitably, guys, I think that, of course – Al Horford's biggest value to the Sixers is going to be creating it just an, an absolutely impenetra- impenetrable defense. And with Richardson and Ben kind of chasing shooters off the three-point line, teams are going to be forced to take a lot of long two-point shots. And if they, if they even want to get a half-decent shot off. So I think the Sixers' defense is going to be so much better this year. Talked to Tom West from LibertyBallers.com last week. He thought that this Sixers team could potentially be the best defensive team in the NBA. And what this does for Ben seems to fit Ben pretty ideally. Hopefully, you know, his passing opens up a little bit more. Um, He's going to be able to get to uh, the basket for some easy, you know, layups and some dunks and things like that. So I'm... Very, very interested to see what's going to be happening with Al Horford when he's paired with Simmons and when he's paired with Embiid. Eric, what are you thinking in terms of what we can expect early in the season with regard to Al Horford and what kind of difference he's going to make?
2: Well, I mean, defensively, it all works. They should be a top three to five defensive team. Um, he Horford can guard big fours easily. And then if teams want to go smaller with quicker wings, you start bringing in guys like Zaire and Thibol a little more. Uh, to to defend that, I don't know if you guys watched any summer league, but those two defensively, Thybul is a little scary. I know it's summer league rookies, yeah. but man, he he is quick to the ball. He has a he has like a sixth sense for steals. He's going to be really good defensively. Uh, offensively, Horford's slow first step at this point of his career is a little concerning, but he can hit open threes. And and then if he's not open, he can kick to Richardson or Harris. While one of them will be open, to, like they'll be open when and beat his double team down low. Like teams can't leave one defender on Embiid when he's like five feet from the basket. It's ridiculous. So they're going to have to pick their poison in that scenario. And hopefully Richardson and, and Harris can uh, can pick up the slack and hit some threes. Um, and I've been saying since the signing that this addition would help Embiid the most. But I, I think the article makes a really good point that it might be Ben who benefits more. Uh, if you remember the twenty seventeen eighteen portion of the season when Embiid was out and Ben was running the show. Airson kind of played the role that Horford will be playing like during the entire season. And let me let's face it, Horford is 10 times better player than Airson Eli Sova. Um, it allows Ben to just destroy in transition because Horford can lay back for a 3 at the top of the key instead of clogging the lane. And in both cases his addition helps this team on both ends. Uh, it, it helps it helps the team on both ends and I think the big key, and it was pointed out in the article as well, it's been, it's been pointed out everywhere is it's within Embiid's minutes, which yeah. is invaluable and something Jimmy could never bring to the table. And I'm not saying Jimmy as a bad player, but you know, it, the key is Embiid to keep him healthy through the playoffs. You gotta, you gotta keep him to like 68 games tops and Jimmy can't do that. So I, I his addition, I've talked about it ad nauseum at this point, He's he's perfect for this team right now. Yeah.
1: And Len, Mike O'Connor, and I'm going to quote his his article, said, All things considered, Horford's fit with Embiid seems less than perfect. Kind of as uh, um, we've kind of alluded to a little bit here, but his fit with Simmons, with Horford as the backup center at least, should be tremendous. The oversized lineups with limited shooting will have their challenges. But with Horford's unselfishness and intelligence, along with an uptick in attempts from three, the upside is enormous. So even from an offensive standpoint, the pairing with Simmons really can be so very interesting. As we, you know, are waiting this season to start, it's going to be really interesting to watch.
0: Yeah, the fit with Simmons is going to be great, and and honestly, even with um, with Embiid. Those guys are probably going to be on the court together in the beginnings of games and then at the ends of games. And then after that, I mean, it'll be interesting to see the way Brett Brown staggers the minutes. But honestly, I I don't know that, you know, you're going to see Embiid and Horford together on the court that much other than the first few minutes of the the game and the last few minutes of the game.
1: It's going to have to be precision, I think, for Brett Brown. I really do cuz Eric you even said on last week's show this is Bre- you know this is what Brett Brown's kind of been waiting for you know this is this is his team now like he's got a decent team here big guys and it's basically his to screw up at this point len and that's kind of what I'm thinking right now as a Philly sports fan we always kind of have that negative right in the back of our mind okay what's going to happen here and my my fear is that Brett Brown might just not understand how to utilize and implement these guys on the floor during the course of a game like that's my major concern we're gonna
0: have to I mean you
1: see how he's not a dumb guy I think
0: I think these pieces fit a little bit better and they're not perfect you know as as is outlined in the article but I think these pieces fit together a little bit better than the pieces that you had last year I think it's gonna be easier for um, for Brett Brown to kind of mix and match as he as he so pleases than it was last year yeah and can I I just add something real fast absolutely this is the
2: first time Brett Brown is going to be, he, uh, you know, I'm, I'm I'm guessing this is going to be the first time he's ever had a starting five, you know, all together the whole season. And he'll be able to plan for an entire offseason with the same starting five. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like last year, he went into it with Dario and, and, and Covington and then what, two months in completely flipped. And then two months, three months later, again, Tobias Harris. Like it, this is the first time. And then before that was just the ridiculous process. And but like this is this is it, it, you're going to see if he's a real coach this year. This is it. He has a full off season with the, all these guys. If he doesn't come up with the right plan, you, I, you're going to have Brett Brown hot seat talk all year long if they come out of the block. If they come out just stumbling, yeah, they, you'd get ready for that.
1: That's going to put a lot of pressure on Elton Brand, the front office for sure. But uh, it's going to be real interesting to watch. And what else is going to be interesting to watch, guys, is where this Philadelphia Phillies team is going to be headed after the All-Star break. This past week, I believe it was the Saturday game, right before this break, we learned that Jake Arrieta had a bone spur in his elbow, and it was reported at the time that he might need surgery, but nope, nope. Today, Gabe Kapler, he went on 94.1 WIP, And was talking to Angelo Cataldi about Jake Arrieta and what we can expect. And he said that Jake is going to be starting this weekend's game versus the Nationals. In fact, he said, quote, he's having a harder time getting extended the way he normally does, especially on that curveball. This is limiting his ability to throw the ball where he wants to throw it. All that said, Jake is a competitor. And for the Phillies, it's always worth considering if Jake is at 85% of himself, is a better option than what we have at Triple A. Oh my God. It's not terribly uncommon for a veteran pitcher to successfully pitch with issues like this one. So, as of now, Jake will make his start for us against the Nationals, and we're going to support him. I cannot believe this quote, quite frankly. And maybe I'm blowing it out of proportion, guys, but he's saying that an 85% Jake Arietta is a better option then what's in Lehigh Valley, A? First off, what does that say to these guys in the farm system who are working their tails off? What does that mean for where this team is going to try to go, perhaps before the trade deadline, as we've been talking here on the show? Probably not going to make any moves. I mean, probably, because what do what do they have in terms of assets? What do they have in the farm system to give to another team to gain some pitching? I, I, I can't believe that Gabe Kapler Actually said this, and maybe Len, I'm making a mountain out of a molehill here. But with Jake Arietta this season in 18 starts, he's eight and seven, a 4.67 ERA, 1.463 WHIP, a 2.13 strikeout to walk ratio, and he still hasn't pitched more than six innings in a start since May 25th. So if Gabe Kapler wants 85% of Jake Arietta and that's fine for him, I think that is a huge huge problem for this team during the second half of the season so like i feel like i'm throwing my hands up at this point len and being like fuck this shit seriously i'm not i'm not happy about it at all
0: well first of all language um and then secondly (laughs) sorry
1: i'm just i'm sorry i'm mad i am mad
0: about this i guess this is gonna be an excel show um yeah i i mean look it, it sucks there's there's no getting around it it's almost like they should have, you know, really gone hard after Charlie Morton in the offseason. And yes, folks, you heard me say that last week. And I'm going to harp on it every week that we talk about the Phillies pitching because they just should have gone after starting pitching. I know they spent a lot of money, but hey, if you're gonna go balls to the walls, why not do it? Um, it it worries me in the fact that I don't know, maybe it, it sounds like they're confident that his injury can't get worse than it already is, so he can't hurt himself any worse. But the, the quote about his elbow is limiting his ability to get into certain positions in terms of throwing a baseball. It, it sounds like he's going to be awful compromised. Yeah. Um, and he and hit that, three guys
1: on Saturday, by the way, too. I was watching the game. He hit three freaking batters. That's un- unbelievable.
0: Yeah. I, I mean, and if that, you know, hampers his ability to, to put a baseball where he wants it, that's going to make him a real wounded animal. I mean, real quick. Um, as, as far as trades go, because uh, I heard you mention it. You now have a, a rotation where you got Nola, who is, you know, I, I guess he's he's pitching better, you know, and not as much of a concern as he was maybe a month ago. Right. But who else do you have? I mean, yeah, it would be great. Okay, trade for starting pitching, but you need like three or four of them at this point um, in order to feel confident. And you're you're not going to get, you know, three or four starting pitchers without, you know, just selling everybody. So. Is that even like? Is it feasible at this point? I don't. I don't think it is. I, don't, I really yeah. don't. Um, as far as the guys in AAA, yeah, look, they're not. They're not great. A lot of their their better options are down lower in the system. Um, guy, well, Damon Jones, guy in Reading, uh, Spencer Howard, the guys who's either further down than that. So, the guys that you have in AAA, I, I don't know if they're the answer either. And yeah, I mean, it sucks for them to have to hear Kapler say things like that, but. It's not wrong.
1: I guess it's not wrong. I hate the, I hate the message though. I hate the message when he's on Angelo the oh, sure, yeah. show. That's what I hate, Eric. I, I I don't like that. I don't like that. You're you're coming you're coming out and admitting that one of your starting pitchers, technically your second in the rotation, is going to be pitching at eighty five percent technically for the rest of the season. Here, you know, and meanwhile, yeah, we. We saw some good stuff from Zach Eflin earlier this year. At this point, like he's he's fallen off a cliff. His win win loss, he's seven and eight, three point seven eight ERA, and I, I I hate I hate it coming from the manager that yeah you know what our number two here, he's 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 at eighty five percent. I I just I don't know maybe maybe it's just because I know the season's basically gone at this point that I am so downtrodden about this particular quote and just Gabe Kapler's ability to not seem too too concerned about it maybe he is but of course he of course he needs to be optimistic upbeat when he's on the radio talking about this I'm just kind of all over the place on this Eric what are are your thoughts on this do you kind of say or upset at all with Gabe Kapler saying this at all
2: before I get to that, uh, we might as well just put replace Eflin with Titanic on the back of his jersey because it. <laughs> we all knew it was coming, but wow, it, it's getting really bad. Yeah, honestly, it, it is an eighty-five percent Jake Arietta like actually fifty-five percent Arietta at this point of his career? Like, we watched the game together Saturday, and if that's a compromised Arietta performance, I don't want to see another one because you know it, he went four and one-third inning. And he struck out four, gave up three. He was terrible. He was really bad. I understand he's currently the best option in a sea of just starting pitching mediocrity. But what, like, what Kapler? You know, I, I like to cut through the crap. I know that he's a competitor. He's I, I I don't listen to that stuff. I just listen to. I I listen to the true message. I, I try and like hear what, as a fan, what he's actually saying. Like, what to me, what he's telling the fans is. He might go four innings and then you're going to he's going to deplete the already tired bullpen for the remainder of this, his starts this year. Like that's that's the message I took out of it. OK. Outside of the competitor crap. Um, and like we've discussed many times prior to the show, like should this squad give up prospects for an older yet more seasoned pitcher that's only under team control for like a short period of time? or like right now, no. I mean, that's that, I've heard Cole Hamels is, is out there. Bum Garner. But I I, I think the Nats series starting this Friday will be a key indicator of what they do before the deadline. They're they're hosting the Nats. They're, what, a game and a half behind – or half a game behind them for the uh, wild card spot. You know, my great fear is they, they sweep them. And Philly fans get all riled up again. Matt Klintak starts to make phone calls. And we start trading prospects away <laughs> for Madison Gum, Bumgarner or something like that, and, and then we end end the season like you know eighty and eighty two, and we just miss the playoffs. Um, I, I don't know what they do. If if Arrieta is your best option going forward, I, I, I would say don't make those trades because it's not going to be enough.
1: Yeah, I would I would definitely agree
0: with that for sure. Hey, um, so wait, what's this about getting together Saturday and watching the game together? Uh. We, you were <laughs> you were at
2: work uh, guiding uh, Red Net truckers, as you call them, uh, down the,
0: up and down the highways. Well, I Again. call them the knights of the highway, but go on. Yeah, <laughs> uh,
1: guiding I, commerce throughout the United States.
2: I know what you actually call them. So, <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, I've basically thrown my hands up at the Phillies at this point, but I do know in the back of my mind that the Philadelphia Eagles season is coming, and that makes me incredibly happy. So what we wanted to talk about also this week on the show is, outside of Carson Wentz, what player, position, or unit has the biggest hype heading into the 2019 season? And guys, for me, it has to be uh, a gentleman named Dallas Goddard. I cannot wait to see the steps that he is going to take from what we saw last year. And last year was a very, very small sample size. Yes, he played all 16 games. He caught 33 balls on 44 targets, had only 334 yards uh, receiving. He averaged 10.1 yards per reception, but he did have four touchdowns. We're going to see those numbers increase this year. To what extent, of course, we're not sure, but I cannot wait to see Dallas Goddard out on the field. The 12 personnel plays that Doug is going to put into place to really just shake things up against opposing defenses. I hope we see even more 12 personnel as I was uh, talking to Ed Kratz on our Patreon platform this past week uh, on the table talk show again, patreoncom slash Philadelphia PST. Check out our Patreon platform. A lot of great interviews, a lot of great shows that we do over there as well, but I can't wait to see Dallas Goddard this year. He's going to be, I think a real spark for this offense and he's got good chemistry with Carson Wentz. He just does. And um, I knew Eric was just going to send me that text and us that text. So with that being said, I'm going to throw it over to Eric (laughs) about (laughs) what uh, Eagles player unit position that he thinks has really the biggest hype (laughs) heading into this 2019 season. Go ahead, buddy. (laughs) I I went real inside, by the way, right there. Nobody knows what I'm talking about.
2: (laughs) No, If you didn't send that text, I (laughs) would have. And before I do like there's a whole nother show that goes on during the show just us texting each other it's, <laughs> it's, it's 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 better than the show in my opinion but unfortunately we can't share um it's
1: a great web, by the way we are a great multitasking show we are fantastic
2: with it oh it's it's it's, it's horrendous like i'm i'm amazing at this like when i used to work for verizon <laughs> i could do like three things I, I do six things at a time here i mean I'm, I'm amazing at this i'm the best i'm the best podcasting parenter in, in history you are yes yeah Um, I'll say I'm going to go uh, a whole position or unit for me. Like the the key, the big one this year is the new and revamped running back crew. Um, The the three names that jump out to me, obviously, are are Jordan Howard, Miles Sanders, and and Corey Clement. Uh, The the running back position last season was just an abysmal wasteland of talent. It was just sad. Josh Adams was your leading rusher on the season. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, I, I'm highly interested in seeing what Howard and Sanders bring to the table. And if, if this is a big one for me, I, I, I don't know what happened to Corey Clement last year. I guess he was hurt. I'm just going to go off the premise that he was hurt. He was.
1: There was injuries with him last year. Yeah,
2: But if he can bounce back after just an atrocious 2018, that was preceded by. I mean, I, people forget, I think a, a 2017 where I thought he was the guy going forward. He was amazing in the playoffs. Great rookie. He was awesome. Yeah, he went on you know, talk shows, and I, I thought, like, man, he's going to be the next thing in this town, and whew, he went nowhere last year. So I'm, I'm hoping to see a huge bounce back year. And then Howard and Sanders, obviously. Like, that's, that's just very exciting. Because the running backs are so bad last year, I, I think that's the most – that's got to be the biggest hype for me going into this, this year.
1: Yeah, I would definitely I, – I, I think it's a great one to pick because I think with Jordan Howard, we're going to potentially get back that Garrett Bluntish type of play – down at the goal line where he's going to just be able to punch it in and Miles Sanders, hopefully healthy. And I'm sure he is going to be by the time training camp starts, fingers crossed that he is going to be that, that kind of scat back that we saw from him at Penn state. So I am really looking forward to the running back position to Len, um, outside of Carson Wentz, you know, what player position or unit do you think has the biggest hype heading into this coming season?
0: Um, Well, I I, want to talk about Jordan Howard in a second in terms of hype. I'm going to say Deshaun Jackson because he gives his team an element that they didn't have last year in that in that deep threat. And even on plays where he's not getting the ball, um, I think he's just going to open up kind of the rest of the field for other players. So I think his presence alone. Yeah, he's going to catch his share of deep balls. And that's awesome. Uh, but I think his presence alone is going to help open up the offense. Uh, but I'm really glad that Eric mentioned Jordan Howard because I got to be honest with you, I haven't really heard his name much uh, at all. And, and and this is a guy that, you know, 2016 rushed for 1,300 yards, 2017 1,100 yards, last year like 900-some yards, but like – I just feel like this is this is a guy that's produced for three straight years, and I just, I, I mean, again, I don't, I don't listen to his, probably as much Eagles chatter as you guys do, but I just feel like I haven't heard his name talked about that much. Yeah,
1: it's, uh, it, it's somebody, he's flying under the radar for sure, and I, I think it's because there's a lot of attention being put, quite frankly, on the cornerback position. And what is going to have like what six got five six got probably six cornerbacks that they're going to be keeping? Um, I don't think necessarily think there's any hype, but just big time interest with regard to that position line.
0: Okay, and, and and I get that this is you know still technically because that's the way the NFL now is now more of a passing offense and you know, than a rushing offense, and that's always going to take the lead. But I just feel like you know, I, I mean this this guy's produced quite a bit, and I feel like we just haven't really talked about it that much at all
1: yeah all right well that's gonna do it for our opening segment here we are now going to get into our highbrow segment of the week
0: and now the highbrow segment
1: This week on Highbrow, we wanted to talk about the current state of sports betting. There is a lot of legislation, a lot of legislation being signed into law by governors, a lot of states that are looking to legalize gambling and sports betting, I should say. And we wanted to talk about whether or not this is going to be positive for the sports industry overall, or will it have unintended consequences and repercussions uh, more than expected. So I think overall, guys, uh, that the the movement right now that we're seeing with regard to sports betting in a ton of states, I mean, just in 2019, you had Montana, that has approved sports betting. Indiana has approved sports betting, and Iowa, right here in Pennsylvania, they are in the process of looking to do that as well. But throughout the United States, I would say at this point, kind of looking at a map from an article that we are referencing on NGSC Sports, it looks to be about at least two-thirds of the country right here looking to legalize sports betting in some way, shape, or form. And I think that, of course, These sports organizations and leagues are absolutely going to love this. Like any business, the sports business is no different. You put out a product, you expect to make something out of it. Um, You know, just to give you an idea of how much betting could benefit pro sports leagues financially, here are some projected revenue numbers based on what has actually been implemented so far from a sports legalized betting standpoint. The NFL is projected to gain at least another two point three billion dollars. Major League Baseball one point one billion. The NBA five uh, five hundred eighty five million, and the NHL two hundred sixteen million. I mean, this is th- this is no small endeavor <laughs> from a financial standpoint, guys. And I think I have no problems. With sports betting at all. Eric, I certainly know you don't because you partake in it every now and then. You specifically did throughout the NBA playoffs. And is this good for sports overall? I do think it's good because I do think there is going to be even that much more of an interest from people because they will have a financial interest inevitably so eric what are your thoughts on this uh good or bad or do you really end up thinking that it's not going to have much of a difference but uh you know there's a lot of there's a lot of sports betting stuff that's going on like even in new jersey delaware mississippi west virginia you know um we, we we've got legalized actually we do have legalized betting here in pennsylvania uh per this article i didn't necessarily even realize but anyway you know what are your thoughts eric
2: uh, per the words of the legendary uh, Judge Schmales, good, good. <laughs> um, I, 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 I'll save my gambling stories uh, for a, a future Patreon. I, I kind of have an idea I just thought of, so I'll, I'll run that by you then, Jeff. Nice. Um, it, it, it's absolutely a good thing on the surface uh, at first. Uh, it, it, it'll bring more viewers and revenue if the leads are smart and sign revenue sharing and spon- sponsorship deals like they have so far with the gambling companies involved. Um, but listen, people are already gambling on sports and have been for years. Like that was the one thing I thought when I was reading this article, just thinking like it's, it's been going on for, for decades, century, it's been going on forever. Um, like I'll never forget in my local newspaper back in the day as a kid, like right under the standings in the league leaders section, there was always a point spread section and I never really understood what it was. Um, so it's always been around all the major networks have had basically bookies on their Pre-game shows since forever you know yeah uh, so it, it's it's been in it's been in this it's been in the strategy the sports stratosphere forever and why did it take this long and why did the leagues try to pretend it didn't exist i know the controversies around it but uh it was happening anyway so it, it's it's like in goodfellas it's like when the cops were being a pain in the ass paulie simply made them partners you know and I, I'll always remember that scene. It, it's a it's a great scene. It shows you the corruption involved. And now that I you know dropped a Goodfellas reference, which I always I, I'll always try and do. <laughs> the downside, uh, unfortunately, is you're going to run into issues eventually, whether they're real or just optics. You know, um, uh, like I said, the gambling up front at first is a, is a great idea, but if, if if you run into another Tim Donahue situation. Or one of the many soccer ref scandals throughout the years uh, in, in other countries, and it's going to happen. These type of
1: scandals, it's going to oh, happen.
2: Absolutely, the the public will inevitably become cynical and question the leagues, the leagues themselves, level of knowledge and possible involvement. Whether whether it is or not, like I said, it's optics. Uh, whether it's sane or or not, you you like like with the sports, you know, you're not just messing with people's sports fandom and emotions anymore uh now you're messing with their money and that's just a whole different ball game yeah you know so if you run into a scandal post uh legalized gambling it could really really get ugly but in in summary it, it it's it'll be a hit at first it, it it already is uh i partook it's a blast it, it's uh, I, I think a legal sports book is opening up like 10 miles from down the road from me soon um and it's, what yes exactly um and it's gonna like i said it's it's gonna be great at first it's gonna be highly popular but eventually one of the leagues is gonna have a nasty scandal they're gonna have to deal with and uh, uh, i man that's gonna be a e60 you know two hour part it's gonna be ugly ugly because again you're not just dealing with fandom you're dealing with people's money then
1: exactly len and i can see a situation happening where it's the NFL, Major League Baseball, whichever one of these professional organizations working in concert with one of these sports betting sites that are out there or or one of these businesses, just one of these betting businesses where there is a controversy and we all say, whoa, you got to. All right. So what you're telling me is I'm being cheated out of my money from these billion upon billion dollar entities. That's where I kind of when I think about it, exactly what Eric said and I kind of just go, whoa, okay. Something like that is going to happen at some point where we begin questioning a league and then what happens to that league based on potentially billions of dollars being at stake. So that's what—that's my concern about it.
0: Well, yeah, there's always going to be those concerns. Look, a scandal is going to happen. Let, let's just stop pretending right now. Yeah, people it's push it too far. It's going to happen. Yeah, But... To your point about generating interest, look, there's nothing that's going to generate your interest more in a game than if you have a financial stake in it. So there are people that uh, it's going to happen, um, you know, eventually. I'm very intrigued by the possibility that it's going to happen in Pennsylvania um, because just basically I thought they would be the last state, uh, you know, given their alcohol laws. Um, (laughs) With everything in
1: Pennsylvania, by the way, they're the last to do everything.
0: Yeah, let's be more Puritan than uh, Utah if we possibly can. But, um, yeah, I mean, look, it, there's going to be a scandal. It's it's not going to be good for sports. I don't know which one. might be more than one for all we know. Who knows? But something is definitely going to happen. But I don't think that's going to be enough to stem the tide because once you open those floodgates, you're not going to be able to put that genie back in the bottle. It's just it's not going to happen. Yeah,
1: I agree completely. All right, well, that's going to do it for Highbrow this week. Now let's get to our Lowbrow segment. As many of us Sixers and Philadelphia sports fans in general know, J.J. Redick, former Philadelphia 76er, took out a full-page ad in the Philadelphia Inquirer this past week to thank the Sixers and the Philly sports fans for the great memories that he had. He wanted to say goodbye that way, as many athletes do, many popular athletes do, that do end up leaving the cities that they play in. But this week on the Highbrow segment, we're going to discuss... What if a Philly sports player leaving town instead took out a full-page ad to blast and degrade the fans and the city of Philadelphia? What players of the past would actually do that based on their tenure? Who would our two choices be here? Who would our two choices be here, and what would the message in their ads actually say? And I'm going to say this. They actually don't have to be players because I actually have a coach on, on mine, but uh, I'm going to start with you guys. Len, who is your first guy?
0: Uh, my first guy is probably, I would say maybe the least popular Philly of the past 10 years. Oh God, you might actually have mine. (laughs) And I wouldn't be surprised if all three of us have this. I think Jonathan Papelbon. Um, Oh, we we don't have the same one. Okay, good. we don't have the same one. Okay. I'm surprised. And I basically think his, his newspaper thing would be like, uh, uh, basically, the um, the JFK assassination, the the Warren Report. It, it would just be heavily redacted, just black bars all over the uh, the text. Because uh, I think there would be a lot of there'd be a lot of curse words. He just he, he seems like a douchey guy.
1: Absolutely, I like that one a lot. Eric, who's one of your Philly sports athletes that you think would slam fans in their in in their departure ad?
2: Well, what? Well, what I came up with was not necessarily would they do it. Like, like I'm, I'm not sure. They, they probably would not. I, my, my two scenarios were more like, could you imagine if these two did it? That's what uh, mine
1: are. That's what mine are, basically.
2: Yeah. I don't think either one of these guys
1: would do it necessarily. Well, the one maybe, but uh, but overall, no, I don't think they would actually do it.
2: I'm more thinking about city and fan reaction. And my number one, my absolute favorite choice is is one of Len's favorites would be Derek Coleman.
0: <laughs> oh, but I <laughs> believe me, that name was on my list. And only I only didn't say his name because I figured one of you guys would spe- specifically you like he he played with so little effort despite
2: superstar potential, which is just a death knell for any athlete in Philadelphia. Yeah. And for him to take out or for him to take a ton of the Sixers money crap on the fans by not trying and then to blast him on the way out would be like maybe my favorite non-wrestling heel move of all time. Like, I would actually admire him for it just because I'm a
0: wrestling fan, but I would equally just be like, oh my god. I hate I, so much. I actually know what his, what his ad would be. It would be very short. There wouldn't be much text. It no. would just be, dear Philadelphia, I want you to know this. I never gave a single fuck. Love always, Derek Coleman. <laughs> and how that. much... And how much deep down would you kind of love that? I, mean, I would I would very begrudgingly respect the shit out of it, yeah.
1: Yes. <laughs> oh, my God, that's great. I actually wrote like little – I wrote like some ads for mine here. So mine, my first one is going to be Scott Rowland. And what I think Scott Rowland would do is take out an ad in the Philadelphia Inquirer, and he'd say, you know, I want to thank the Phillies organization for the opportunities they've given me over these years. I enjoyed my time in Philly, but this fan base? What a bunch of assholes. You all love to hate me, don't you? In fact, you all love to hate in general. I fucking won rookie of the year and played at a high level for all you pieces of shit Philly fans. So I decided to make more money somewhere else. Yeah, I did. And guess what? You would too, you freaking idiots. Keep booing, keep bitching and moaning, and I'm sure players will love to stick around. Fuck all you jerk-offs.
0: <laughs> the o- only thing I would add, specifically because I think he, he even said it, was like, I'm leaving you guys for baseball heaven, meaning St. Louis. Oh, my God. Because uh, he yes. referred to it as that. Yes.
1: <laughs> oh, man. Eric, who's who's your other one at this point?
2: Okay, th- this one's a little more personal, and he he would have never done this, but I had I had to imagine if he had. Um, it- it's a little strange, but what if Michael Vick had the gall to bitch about the fans after his <laughs> Eagles
0: career <tenure> ended? <laughs> like for some reason, I, I thought- would self, I would spontaneously combust. Oh, Eric, not-
1: yeah, Eric, you would be out of your fucking mind.
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs> I'm a total dog person. It just like, he was given a chance, even though many of us didn't think he deserved one. Um, and he vouched for him, and he played his ass off. And a lot of fans quickly forgot about his vicious and heinous crimes. And, like, similar to Coleman, like, I would have secretly had loved for him to complain about not being fully accepted in Philly, like, within, within the, uh, the, the, the tenure uh, piece. But, like, even though he, he like he should have been told to fuck off in the first place when they signed him. <laughs> But just, I, I would just, I, I just couldn't imagine. Like, I, I would, I would love to see people's faces who truly hated him at the time. Yeah. Read that. I, I like, I would, I would love to be sitting on the R seven, heading into the city back in the day, and see, just look across the train and see people looking down at the Daily News and like, oh my god, this is awesome. I hate him too, but this is the cool. <laughs> what, a, what? A, again, a great heel turn. It just would have been so much fun to watch.
1: That's very true, man. Nice one. What about you, Len? Who's your last uh, choice here?
0: Uh, I don't know if it would be necessarily hateful. I think he would throw some stuff in and then just combine it with a, just a bunch of gibberish and nonsense. Uh, and that would be Ilya Brizgalov, uh, you know, Ooh, basically thanks for the money <laughs> and then just throw a bunch of wacky shit in there about, you know, the universe and and just being a, a general nutcase. But it would just be like, yes, I took your money. I'm I'm clinically insane. Uh, have a nice life, basically. <laughs>
1: Yes, that's a good one. I like that. My last one here is actually going to be Andy Reid. And I think that if Andy took out an ad in the Philadelphia Inquirer, it would read, I've enjoyed my time here in Philadelphia with the Eagles organization, but I really want to give a shout out to the ungrateful bag of shit fans. I kept this team relevant in the NFL for well over a decade, and now you want to run me out of town. Yeah, I get it. It's probably the best time to part ways with the Eagles after giving you ingrates four NFC championships and a Super Bowl appearance. Hey, it's not my fault the Super Bowl quarterback didn't play up the expectations, throwing an interception in the end zone to Patriot Rodney Harrison and then throwing up on the field late in the game. But sure, blame me. Oh, yeah, yeah. The time management issues. I get it but it's never going to be my strength. And you all knew that and continue to criticize me for years. So in closing, go fuck yourselves and you're welcome for keeping this team a relevant contender for well over a decade. That's what I think Andy Reid would say on his way out. If he wanted to completely degrade the
0: fans. (laughs) There's. There's a, a negative zero, a negative one hundred percent chance he would ever do that. By exactly, the way.
1: but I, I love the prospects of thinking of what he would want to say to the fan base. Just like, like I said in here, just after keeping this team relevant for so, so many years, you know, and just. Even, you know, even, even myself included during his 12th year, 13th year, we're still bitching about clock management issues. It's like, you know what? It's never going to change at all with this guy. Never. So.
2: And and, and just to know that all that resentment was underneath, you know, that that calm, stoic face all those years. Yeah. Just bubbling anger and resentment (laughs) towards everybody. (laughs) Dear
0: dear Philadelphia, you caused me to rage eat. (laughs)
2: It, 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 I, I can imagine, like, if he was in a a, a soap opera, like, the, the final shot before the commercial it would just be the camera zooming in on his face, just, whew,
0: fuming. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Hatred. <laughs> oh, I love it. What a great bit. I love that.
1: We're going to have to bring that one back. That was fun. All right, well, Eric, we're going to have to let you go here, buddy. Len and I, we've got Charlie O'Connor here coming up for a great interview. It's what we're throwing down on the table. And now
3: on the table
1: he is the lead flyers writer at the athletic philadelphia also a contributor at hockey graphs and you can hear his fantastic voice He's one of the co-hosts of the broad street hockey radio podcast bsh radio one of our favorite flyers hockey podcasts out there mr charlie o'connor joining us this week charlie how are you my
3: man hey guys doing okay it's good to uh, it's good to be back it's been a few months so, yes. uh, it's good to rejoin the pod
1: absolutely i had kelly hinkle your co-host on our patreon platform show just a short time ago you guys are always doing a great job over at the broad street hockey radio podcast how have things been going over there
3: uh, you know we uh, we try we try to keep up with all the uh, all the craziness that uh, that involves this particular hockey team
1: exactly and one of the reasons we love listening to you is because you guys bring such a great and fresh perspective on what's going on at any given time with this Flyers team and i was listening to BSH radio a few weeks ago charlie and you were all having a discussion about how this offseason just hasn't been all that exciting in terms of talent acquisition and i completely agreed with you all and how this flyer or how this flyers organization they're going to just need to the team is going to need to come out of the gate winning for fans to have any interest in this team. Completely agree. But last week on our show, we were talking about this topic, and honestly, I'm generally excited to see how Elaine Vigneau is going to coach this team. There's no Dave Haxtell, no Scott Gordon. Things are now. There is a foundation in place. It seems at this point, it's a new coaching era, and with that, I think there should be more promise and intrigue. From the fan base, at least that's how I'm thinking about this. And I think there's something to be said for a certain excitement level that provides Flyers fans heading into this season just from the sheer coaching perspective. And I don't hear that a lot within Flyers Nation. So I wanted to kind of get your thoughts on that.
3: I don't totally disagree with you there. And, you know, Elaine Vigno does have a track record, not only of, of being a, a good coach, but also he has a track record of, of turning things around pretty quickly. Um, you know, in Montreal, his first year, he won the, uh, he won Jack Adams and in Vancouver, his first year, he had a great year. He actually might've also won the Jack Adams. And, uh, and then his first year in, in New York, he took him to the Stanley Cup final. So there is a track record of him doing a very good job, particularly at the start of his tenure in a new place. So that's something to be excited about. I think, I think what it boils down to is this, the, the diehard flyers fans you know the 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 people who for you know for 10 20 30 even longer than that years that have been following this team they're they're not leaving and they're going to yeah. find reasons to be excited about this team and there are reasons as you said you know vinho's an interesting hire without a doubt and he also serves the benefit of not being named dave Haxtall for a lot of people <laughs> right um you know kevin hayes is is a is a free agent who should theoretically shore up one of their biggest weaknesses Um, the kids are going to be taking larger roles. Carter Hart is going to be in his first full NHL season. There are reasons to be excited if if you're a diehard Flyers fan. I think a lot of the diehard Flyers fans, by the time the season starts, are going to convince themselves that this team could be pretty good this year. I think what it boils down to is that it's it's the it's the casual fans and it's the fans who you know the Flyers may not be their their favorite Philadelphia team or their second favorite Philadelphia team but they'll root for them you know they'll 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 jump on the bandwagon if it looks like the team is interesting and it's that group which really provides you know a sizable percentage of the overall fan base that I just don't think is particularly interested and there was a hope I think from that portion of the fan base that this off season would give them a reason to get interested again. You know, obviously the, 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 the coaching change helped because a lot of people were just off, off the Dave Axel train and we're not getting back on until he was gone. So that helped, but there was a hope. I think that the flyers are going to make some big moves and, and you know, add a, a high-profile free agent, trade for a name that everyone knew. Yeah. you know, Maybe even some of those people maybe even were hoping that the entire core was going to be shaken up because they're just sick of guys like Jake Voracek and Shane Goss Astaire, and even Claude Giroux. Not saying they're right, but there is a portion of the fan base that, that believes that. So I think it's that portion of the fan base that, quite frankly, you know, the Flyers may have gotten better this offseason. It's very possible. And the Flyers could be positioned to have a much better season next year, but it's that portion that is not going to believe that's the case until they see it with their own two eyes and until they see it with their own two eyes and I'm not just talking about a week or two I'm talking about like around mid-December if the Flyers are first or second in the division Like that's the only way they're coming back right? because they look at it as this team had a chance to do big things and instead they trade it for two 32-year-old defensemen Hired a coach right. <laughs> who's never won a Stanley Cup, yeah. and their big signing was a guy who's never scored over 60 points in an NHL season. So, right, like, right. it's that curve that's going to be like, look, none of this interests me. You got to prove to me on the ice that you're interesting because quite frankly, what you did this summer isn't, isn't cutting.
1: Absolutely. And I completely get it. It's, but like with the Kevin Hayes signing and I, Len, I know you're going to get into him in just a second. I think that's a, a really intriguing signing. Probably your casual fan is going to be like Kevin Hayes, who, but Len, I know you wanted to get yeah. into Kevin Hayes a little bit more buddy. So go ahead, man.
0: Yeah. Let's, uh, let's talk about him. Um, you know, it was a necessary signing given the team needs. You had to have a second center. Um, and, but the Flyers gave up a ton of money uh, to a guy in Kevin Hayes, who was who only reached the fifty point threshold for the first time last season, he is only twenty seven, so it's at least possible that his career is still, you know, on an upward trajectory. Do you feel that there could be significantly more there in terms of production, or is he kind of close to leveling out? Or
3: I, I don't know if there's like significantly more there, but I do believe there is, you know. I don't think he's a guy who's going to be on the flyer scoring, you know, 40, 45 points a year. You know, he, the the fact that the fact of the matter is, is yes, he's never broken 60 points in a season, but last season he had 54 points in 71 games. And that kind of adds out. If you give him an 82 game season, that adds out to a, a little over 62 point pace, or 62 point pace. So it, you know, kind of goes back to conversations we used to have about Sean Couturier before he had his big breakout, where you know, yeah, he hadn't broken 40 points, but the two years prior to his big breakout, he'd missed games. So his point, his point for game pace was actually, you know, approaching 50 points, which made it. So when he had his big breakout to some people, it seemed like this amazing thing. Like how could this have happened where a lot of us have been saying that you know, truthfully the breakout has sort of happened a couple of years earlier. You guys just weren't paying attention. So with Hayes, yeah, I think there's more there. You know, when, when he was, when he was in, in New York for a lot of his time, he was more used as a uh, almost like a defensive center which uh, which lowered his uh, his point production lowered his uh, really his, his offensive upside in general uh, and he also was rarely given prime time on a power play so i do think there's additional upside there the, the question i have is what type of role he's going to be used with the flyers given that he's back with Vigneault yeah yeah, there's there's no guarantee that the Flyers are going to use him in the same way he was used last year because last year, as you said, he used to be under Vino in New York, and Vino was the guy who used him in those that defensive role. His big year in New York, he was under David Quinn, the the replacement for Vino. So that was when he kind of got his minutes opened up and was used in a more offensive role. It's possible, like yeah, if if, if Kevin Hayes, if he if Kevin Hayes ends up being used as a second line center. With like Jake Voracek and and James Van Reem's like as his wings, and ends up helping to unlock the second power play unit because I can't imagine he's on he's going to be on the top power play unit. I just don't I don't know where I don't know who he who he displaces on that unit. So I would assume he ends up on PP two. Yeah, then the offense could be there, and he could be a guy who gets you you know fifty five to sixty five points, and that would be great. It's just it's just hard to know how he's going to be used until we find out how he's going to be used and it's legitimately possible that he could kind of be used as more of a, like defensively oriented compliment to Nolan Patrick who gets the softer minutes and is given, you know, put in a position to score because they're hoping to develop him into that kind of center. I don't know. I don't know how it's going to play out. I do believe that Hayes from a, from an efficiency standpoint is going to be good. Like I, he, he's always scored at five on five at the rate of either a low end first liner or a high end second liner. And I don't see any reason why that's going to end. I just don't know in terms of raw numbers, what kind of upside he has in Philadelphia, because I don't know how they're going to use him. but it's possible. I think he's a good player. And, and as you said, they needed a second line center. There weren't a lot of second line centers on the market and they got one of the better ones. So it's not a signing. I hate even though they probably spent you know a little bit too much money on him, but you had to, to get him. So that was the justification. I just, I, I don't know. He's not the kind of guy, or let me put it this way. If I'm directing a fantasy hockey team, he's not the kind of guy I'm going out of my way to draft just because I don't know what his raw numbers are going to look like in Philadelphia. But yeah, there's, there's plausible upside there because he's a good player.
0: As he gives you, like you said, low first line, maybe high second line production. I mean, I, I think that's all anybody asks for and Really. You only need that for, Hopefully, a couple years until Nolan Patrick is ready to usurp him in that two C role. Um, I also want to get into another need uh, that was on the, you know, the the docket before the uh, off season started, and that's the third line winger. Um, you know, it's still possible they could go out and acquire one, but it seems more and more possible that maybe the Flyers might give the opportunity to one of the kids in their system to win that job. Um, For what you saw in the developmental camp. Is there anyone that stands out as potentially ready to take that job?
3: Yeah, there's a few guys that uh, that I think will be in the mix. Uh, we actually talked about this this week on uh, on BSH Radio that the the fascinating part about this open three three wing job is that basically, like, there's a lot of different paths they could take because there's there's five guys who have been named, and I think there's actually six that are plausibly in the running uh, that you know, weren't on the roster last year that could be on the roster this year at forward to take that open spot. And they are Morgan Frost, Joel Farabee, German Rubsoff, Mikhail Voroviev, who was on the roster briefly last year, uh, Nick Albe kubel who was on the roster briefly last year, and Isaac Racklick. So those are six guys that could plausibly take that spot. The thing is, is that they, they all wouldn't be necessarily taking that spot. Like what there's, yeah, there's there's only the third-line wing spot open, but plausibly, Scott Lawton could fill that role. He filled it at times last year. He moved up the lineup and jumped into a third-line wing role. That would plausibly open up the fourth-line center spot. So, you know, let's say out of those six players, Mikhail Vorobiev has the best camp. You know, you might end up filling that open spot by saying, okay, Scott Lawton, you're a third-line wing, and Mikel Vorobiev, you're a fourth-line center. Boom, there's your bottom six. By the same token, if Morgan Frost has a killer camp, he obviously can't play center because you're not going to put him at fourth line center. That's just dumb. He, he needs, he needs minutes because he needs to be playing in a, a more offensive role. Yeah, yeah. So you're probably, you're probably going to put him at wing, which therefore puts, you know, makes him the third line wing and whatever. So it's just, there's a lot of different paths this could take. And then therefore Scott Lawton stays a fourth line center and there's your, there's your bottom six. So it's going to be a fascinating camp because there's a lot of players at different stages of their respective developments that are going to be battling for what at first glance seems like the same spot, but in reality, it's not in reality, they're battling for different spots, but they're all still kind of competing against each other. Because I think the way it's going to I think the way this whole thing is going to work out is basically like, okay, you're all competing. Yeah, you're competing for different spots, but we're still going to pick the person who's perform who's performing the best in camp. It's just going to be who can provide us the most value in the role that they take on. You know, the the, the most exciting option in my mind is is Frost, and and, and oh, yeah. I'm I'm a huge I'm a huge Joel Farabee fan. I think Joel Farabee is going to be be a great NHLer. Oh yeah, but I but I think that I think that Morgan Frost is he just has higher offensive creativity upside and he's the guy who you know Joel Farabee I think is gonna be very good but I think Joel Farabee is going to score his points in a different way than Morgan Frost is going to score his points. Morgan Frost is going to score his points by you know making ridiculous passes and and incredibly gifted maneuvers with the puck and things like that and that's the kind of player that I think the fans would enjoy seeing. Uh, whereas Joel Faraby, I think he's going to do it a lot more with, you know, great four checking and, you know, a, a good shot, relentless play. So to me, Morgan Frost is the guy I think fans should probably be rooting for to earn that spot. And I think he has a chance because he definitely looks, he looks stronger than he, than he has in the past. He's obviously a year older than Farabee, so that gives him a leg up. And there's that open spot on the third line that he certainly could take. Um, I think he's an option and right now I would definitely put him in the top tier as possibilities. But as I said, you know, you've got guys like Albe bell who are older and have experience in the AHL. You've got guys like who who's older, have experience in the AHL. You've got even a guy like German Russoff, who I think has a legitimate chance of making this team because again, he's older. He looks like an NHL, or at least based on what I saw in dev camp. And he has the defensive aspects of his game more down than, than frost maybe ever will. So there's a lot of names in in this race, and it, it's going to be a fascinating one to see to watch play out in, in September because there's a lot of different ways this could play out.
0: Yeah, can I, I ask you just oh, real quick about uh, Vorobiev? Just because it, it this is a guy that coming into the season, he was like, oh man, he had a great camp, and then he started off seemingly well, and then it feels like he just kind of dropped off the face of the earth. Uh, what the, where where are they at with him? Is it just he needed another year of seasoning, or are, are they still high on him?
3: Um, it's hard to say because I did get the impression in the second half of last season that they were they were a little bit less high on him than you know, definitely less high on him than they were at the start of last year, but even souring them on souring on him a little bit. His biggest problem, and you hear this about a lot of players, is that he just he found it really tough to adjust to the pace of the NHL. You know, he wanted to kind of just slow it down and, you know, operate at his own speed. And the fact of the matter is is you can't do that in the NHL because not only is everybody bigger and faster, they're also just making decisions quicker than in any other league in the world. And because of that, that was a big reason why I think he he struggled because he just could not, he couldn't keep up. It's a, you know, it's kind of a cliche, but I think it was absolutely the case with him. It's just, he could not keep up. And I don't think it's that he can't because he's actually a pretty decent skater. He's obviously got skills. He's a smart player. It's just that he needs to, he needs to approach every shift with an urgency that just wasn't there last year when he played at the NHL level. So, you know, that's not really something that you can fix in the weight room. That's something that a player just has to do. And if he shows up to camp and he shows that, and then, you know, he were theoretically to make the team. If he shows that in NHL games, then boom, you've got a useful player. But it's just on him. He's just got to make that transition. And some guys find a way to do it, and some guys don't. And it's just... You know, it's it's hard to say what's gonna happen with a guy like him until it happens because, you know, he could just be a guy who can't make the jump, or he could be a guy who turns into a great bottom sixer. I don't think the Flyers are done with him. I mean, Fletcher named him specifically as a guy who and this was a, a couple weeks ago, named him specifically as a guy who will have a shot in camp. So I don't think they're done with him. Yeah. But there's things there's things he needs to change in his game that the only person that can decide whether they get changed is, is Mikel Verogia.
1: Yeah. Well, you wrote a really good article this past week on the flyers developmental camp, Charlie, and how certain players are close with and learn from each other. And I'm wondering, as we look to the future here, outside of the real, real young players at development camp, looking at this flyers expected roster heading into the coming season, what players do you think can improve on the ice? Kind of just based on their interpersonal relationships with with each other, you know how how they can work together due to mutual respect, that friendship. You know what players do you think might take a big step forward this year based on that interpersonal relationship and even mentoring, I guess to an extent.
3: You know the, the interesting thing about the Flyers, and this is something that that Scott Gordon actually pointed out. Um, actually. He pointed it out twice. He pointed it out once when he got hired, and then he pointed it out once at the end of the season. Um, One of the first things he said uh, after he got hired was that when, when Dave Haxtell called him, basically after Dave Haxtell was fired, Haxtell gave him a call and was like, you know, you're getting the job. You just want to kind of, you know, number one, want to congratulate you. Number two, just want to tell you some things about the team that you're taking over. And, and Gordon said that one thing that Axel told him was that, you know, one thing you're going to notice is that this is legitimately a really good group of guys that, you know, I know they're not playing well, but they are a good group of people. And Gordon at the end of the season repeated that he said that, you know, interestingly enough, he basically said that, you know, he was kind of done with, Pursuing an NHL head coaching job, you know, yeah, he was happy yeah. being an being an, being an AHL head coach, and he said that coaching this group of guys basically gave him back the itch. You know that now he's now he he's he's not happy with just being an AHL, like right, he right. wants to be back in the NHL. And he said part of that was that. The, guy, the, the group he coached in, in New York way back when, when he had his first shot, you know, it was just, he it said was, it was just kind of a bad mix of guys. It was a bunch of really young guys and a bunch of really old guys, and no one really liked each other, and it was just a mess. And he said, this is a really good group, and I really, really enjoyed coaching them. So I don't think there's really a problem in the room in the sense that guys don't like each other or respect each other. There might be a problem with just their ability to push each other to be great. You know that could be a problem, and I think that was a big reason why they prioritize going after older defensemen like Matt Niskanen and 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 Braun because I do believe that they think those guys might be able to instill maybe more of a culture of accountability more okay. than anything else. Just this idea that like this isn't good enough and we need to address a problem and not just everyone's friendly and everybody likes each other. So no one really wants to step on each other's toes. Like, I think that if anything is something that, that maybe needs to be adjusted because I don't think the problem is that these guys aren't friends. I think they like each other. I think they're actually pretty close. You know, obviously you're going to have your clicks and some guys are closer with other guys than others, but I don't get the sense. This is a locker room that's in turmoil. I just think this is a locker room that maybe needs some needed, some new voices, you know, where, when, you know, when a team is just in a slump, they just need someone to step up and just say, you know, get, you know, get your, get your shit together yeah. for lack of a better term. <laughs> yeah. And, and and they, maybe they didn't have the right voices to do that on a regular basis. And I think, again, that was part of the reason why they decided to bring in guys like Niskanen and Braun that could maybe shake that up a little bit. Um. But yeah, I don't think the problem is, is a lack of closeness. I think if, if there is a problem, it's something else, but I don't think it's that, you know, there there are teams where everyone's at each other's heels, and I don't see that as, as this
1: team. All right, again, talking to Charlie O'Connor, lead Flyers writer at the Athletic Philadelphia, contributor at Hockey Graphs, and also co-host of the Broad Street Hockey Radio podcast. Follow him on Twitter at Charlie O underscore Con, C-O-N-N, and Len, I'm going to shoot it over to you. I know you want to get into some more Flyers talk here. Go ahead, buddy.
0: Yeah, I just want to get into a couple prospects here since you were recently at developmental camp. Um, they have... Two prospects in Bobby Brink and Matthew Strom, whose potential rests heavily on whether or not they can improve their skating. Um, I'm fascinated by this aspect of development because it feels like it's the first thing you probably learn when you're learning to play the game of hockey. Um, In your experience, is that something that most prospects eventually figure out? I mean, is it a matter of improving technique or is it something that, you know, you only have X amount of natural athleticism and that's where you're capped out and you can't really improve beyond that?
3: I think it varies from player to player, and and that's the risk you take when you when you draft a guy who has who comes with skating concerns because sometimes they figure it out and sometimes they don't. Like you know, classic example of a guy who figured it out was uh, was Jamie Benn. You know, there's a reason why Jamie Benn lasted until the late rounds of the draft in his year, and it's because he was a bad skater. You know, in his draft year, he was a bad skater, and he worked at it. He improved his technique. He got stronger in his lower body. And now, I mean, he's not a burner now, but he's not slow. And now he's a star. And that can happen. That's why that's an upside play. You get a guy who has all the skills from a hockey sense and a hand standpoint that just doesn't have the skating. And you hope the skating comes around. For him, it did. For other guys, it just never does. And they're never good enough. So it's. It's tough to say until it plays out. Like obviously Oscar Lindblom's another example. His skating was was terrible when he was drafted. It was he was slow as molasses, and every year you saw it get a little bit better, a little bit better, a little bit better. And he's not a bullet now. You know he's not a, he's not a burner, but he can keep up. And considering everything else that's good about his game, that's enough. Now, now you mentioned you mentioned Strome and Brink. So Strome's a guy that you know. We're coming up on, you know, he's turned pro this year. We're coming up on a few years after his draft year. And I I can tell you that the the technique has gotten better. You know, he doesn't look as much of a mess on the ice as he used to, but he's still slow. And and at this point, you're kind of wondering if it's ever going to come around. You know, remembering Oscar Lindblom, I remember the first camp I watched him at, he looked incredibly slow. And as I said, every year got a little bit better, a little bit better. And then finally one year he hit camp. And I said to myself, this guy isn't slow anymore. And that was the year you know, when he went back over to Sweden. That was the year he had his breakout year in Sweden. And it was because he had everything else. He just needed the skating to get better. The skating got better. And boom, he became one of the best forwards in the SHL. I haven't seen that jump with a guy like Strome. Now, with a guy like Brink, what's interesting about him is that there's aspects of skating that he's really good at and and you could you couldn't say that about somebody like strong like strong was just bad across the board brink his first couple steps and his change of direction and his edges are really good like they're they're borderline high end it's that he doesn't have a strong stride when it comes to you know getting to top speed as quickly as possible and then turning the corner on a guy when he's going through the neutral zone he just he doesn't have that and to me that's more fixable than something like what Strom is dealing with where it's just everything was bad and he had to basically reconstruct his stride from the, you know, from the base level with Brink. I think a lot of it's just, he needs to get stronger. And this is a guy who just needs to be, needs to be stronger in the lower body needs to, uh, you, know, I, I've talked to, I've talked to people involved with like physical therapy and, and weight training and whatnot, because my thought process was, you know, you would think that quick, quick, twitch muscles, like that is where you generate a lot of your power from. And how could he be a good, good at his first couple strides and not good past that. And they said, it's a totally different set of muscles. You know, you, you need to work out a totally different set of muscles to extend your stride different from what it takes to, you know, basically be able to burst off the line. So for Brink, I think a lot of it's just going to come down to how much work he puts in. And then obviously technique as well as a part of it, because you have to learn how to, you know, maximize the strength that you have. But Brink to me strikes me as more likely to become a good skater because there are already aspects of his skating where he's good.
0: Okay, and that's what I was—that was, was going to be a follow-up question I had. He, he at least has that first part down, or at least yeah. part of the game down. So it kind of exactly. gives you, I think, maybe more optimism than it would in the case of a strom. So okay, all right, that, yeah. I was. Uh, thank you for clarifying that cuz I was going to follow up with that. Yeah.
1: All right. Uh, final question for you, Charlie. Um kind of wanted to get like away from the Flyers just to kind of talk about free agency uh for a bit here. One of your fellow writers at the Athletic, Dom Luchichin, I believe I said that right. Did I say that right? Luchichin? It,
3: it, it's close enough. <laughs> close enough.
1: All right. It's again, like Len says If it's not Smith or Jones, I'm messing up the name. (laughs) But Dom (laughs) wrote a very interesting piece this past week titled, What are the chances a free agent is worth his new contract? And in his article, he used Tyler Myers' contract as an example, five-year, $30 million deal. Now, Vancouver is expecting Myers to provide the team six wins of value over the duration of his contract, which is essentially a number two defenseman. Now, we look at game score value added, and Myers is actually expected to help generate just two wins of value over the course of his contract. And this comes out to be an overpayment. When you look at the money, it's like an, a free agent overpayment of about $14 million when it's all said and done. So instead of being paid $6 million a year, he should probably only be paid about $3.1 million annually. Free agency, as we know, it costs teams a lot of money, whether it is the NHL, whether it's the NFL, Major League Baseball, or the NBA. It just does in every single sport. But I'm wondering, Charlie, do you think free agency and the cost of free agency, and maybe not just for hockey, but even though we're specifically talking about hockey, do you think it hurts the NHL NHL teams to an extent financially because of you know the stagnant interest that has remained around the sport for some time and just some of the struggles that the NHL has seen over the years, that translation of the NHL kind of can't get out of the mud in certain ways, yet they're overpaying guys who might not necessarily have that talent that they're being paid for. I hope that makes sense.
3: So... Uh the The short answer is, "I don't think so, okay, but i do but I do think that it has an impact, like I think it has an impact locally because you have teams that are doing a poor job of evaluating the available talent because of that and because we're in a cap world where you only have a certain amount of money that you're allowed to spend yeah. on players. yeah. Because of that, your team is more likely to not be good. And because your team is more likely to not be good, the fans are more likely to tune out. And therefore, the interest is more likely to not be there. So I think on the micro level, yes, you know, poor evaluation definitely hurts interest in the game. On the macro level, like I just, I guess the way I look at it is every sport, teams overpay for players. And and I don't know if the, I I don't know if the NHL is maybe the NHL is a bit more inefficient than other sports, but I don't think it's like so dramatically more inefficient that that's a driving reason why hockey isn't as popular as, as other sports. Like obviously football has the benefit, you know, maybe not the benefit for the players, but the benefit, you know, when it comes to this sort of thing, that if a team signs a bad contract, usually there's not a lot of guaranteed money there. So they can cut the guy after one year and then reallocate from there. You know, the other two sports are guaranteed. So it's a different ball game, but I think baseball and basketball are legitimately more intelligent than hockey, especially when it comes to the adoption of analytics. That said, you know, I, I guess you could make the case. You could probably make the case that because teams inefficiently spend their money, then they want to get out from under these deals. And that's part the reason why these lockouts get, get created because yeah. money is being spent so inefficiently that then the teams are like, Oh my God, why are we spending all this money? This is ridiculous. Salaries are too high. We need to, we need to kind of take some money back from the players. When you could argue that they were the ones that gave out the contracts in the first place. And right. Not only <laughs> they were they the ones that gave them out, they were bad contracts. Right. So <laughs> is it really, the, is it really the player's fault for signing contracts that, the owners themselves should have known were stupid from the get-go. So I get that argument. That said, even in an efficient marketplace, the same amount of money would still be spent. It would just be spent more efficiently. And I think the owners would still want to spend less of it. You know, j- just because exactly. they're spending yeah. money on good players doesn't mean that they wouldn't want to be spending less money. They're still greedy sons of bitches, right. so they're still going <laughs> to want to spend less money, um, regardless of whether it's and, and, and in an efficient marketplace. Obviously, right. you know what, what's smart. You, know, you could make a smart move, but in a, in a marketplace where everyone is making smart moves, it then becomes harder for your smart moves to be moving the needle. Exactly. Because, so then, it, then everyone's spending money, and everybody wants to spend less money because what was once a really smart move now is just par for the course. So I don't think, I don't think that's necessarily hurting hockey per se. The one thing I will say though, is that I do believe that I think if, if teams were, I think if teams were better evaluated and, and the specific, the specific thing I'm pointing to here is defense. I think if teams were better at evaluating defensemen, and placed a little bit more of an emphasis on skill rather than guys like Tyler Myers, who are basically their, their best attributes that they're six foot seven yeah. And right-handed. Yeah. <laughs> um, if skill was more prioritized by general managers and by teams, the game itself might be more fun to watch. And if the game itself was more fun to watch, maybe that sparks more interest. So I, I I'll say that there's, there's that aspect, but I feel like that would be more of a, it would be more of like a long-term impact. I don't think that would move the needle dramatically in terms of interest yeah. one way or the other, you know, over the course of one season. Like if, if hockey just got smart, everybody was was brilliant and, and you know, we knew how to create a perfectly efficient marketplace. Like I don't think hockey would overnight turn into, you know, go from a seven into a 10 when it comes to, <laughs> you know, enjoyment level of watching games. It would right. gradually happen. So I don't think that's, I, I don't think it's, it's, hurting the game dramatically. I think there's, I, I've always said the biggest thing in my mind that hurts hockey is the, the idea of this, this idea that we, we can't promote the individual. And that, that's always been my thing because the, the way I look at it is a big reason why the NBA is is so successful these days is because the individual stars are so well known. They're brands to themselves and everyone wants to see these individual stars and to me, the biggest problem with hockey, especially the way our culture is, is structured these days and the way sports are structured these days, is that people don't root for teams as much as they root for players. Right. And yeah. the, the, the entire sport of hockey is built around, for better or worse, is built around this idea of the team matters most. And you can say it's admirable in an old school sort of way, and certainly the people in hockey believe that. But the fact of the matter is, is that it's, it, it, it's honestly a disgrace that Connor McDavid is by far the best player in hockey, and you walk down the street and ask the casual sports fan who Connor McDavid is, and they wouldn't know. It. They wouldn't like, know. That's ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, yeah. and and that's a failure on the part of hockey marketing, and it's a failure on the ah, part of hockey culture, yes. that someone like Connor McDavid is not smacked in the face of every single sports fan as much as possible, because not only is he the best player in the game, he's the most exciting, and everyone should know his name. And the fact that he's not you know, ubiquitous in the sports world, it's a failure of hockey. It's a failure of the NHL and it's a failure of the game. And until that problem is solved, I don't think it's gonna matter how much money we're paying Tyler Myers.
1: Okay. I think it's interesting because we have been talking on this podcast show, Charlie, about the marketing that is done, or I should say not done by the NHL. <laughs> and just how the front office just still doesn't get it after all these years. It's a theme we've been talking about over the past couple months on our show here because we see so much promise with a lot of these young players, and not just within the fly organization too but throughout the league and there's some really good athleticism that's going on yet we don't know about it because the league just does a terrible job of marketing itself to people who could actually enjoy this sport it just drives me crazy
3: <laughs> you and me both do you,
1: um, sorry just real quick do
0: you think that maybe mcdavid's market has a little bit to do with it or or is it just doesn't matter where he plays he'd still be uh underutilized
3: marketing wise I, you know, I'm sure it definitely plays a role, you know, obviously if he was playing in New York, I'm sure he'd be more well-known, but by the same token, I mean, every NBA fan knows who the Greek freak is in Milwaukee. Yeah, is that that's true. So, so like, it's just, you know, yeah, it helps if you're in a big market without a doubt, but the NBA still knows how to promote their stars who are in small markets. The NHL clearly doesn't.
1: Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, we are going to let him go right now. Again, Charlie O'Connor from the Athletic Philadelphia contributor at Hockey Graphs and of course co-host of the Broad Street Hockey Radio podcast BSH Radio. Check out that podcast on all podcasting platforms out there. Such a great listen every single week. Great content there. Charlie you do a great job at the Athletic Philadelphia. We enjoy reading your material and my friend, I hope you're able to join us in the future.
3: Be happy to. Thanks so much, guys.
1: Len, I could talk about the marketing thing with the NHL for hours here at this point because I've really been thinking a lot about it more because we have been talking about it on the show and there's just so much to hockey. I think that even the casual fan doesn't get to see in terms of the talent, in terms of storylines. I think they could be marketed so well in order for this sport and specifically with the Flyers to just... Get those stories out into the public. It was a great thing they did <laughs> with regard to unveiling their mascot, Gritty, this past year. A marketing, it was a, it was like a marketing phenomenon. I mean, when 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 Gritty is going on late night TV, you've done something well. But it's got to keep going for the Flyers. It's got to keep going. Something has to happen. and. and, and something needs to be generated from an nhl front office standpoint i think it's going to be tough to do from what charlie was talking about and i completely agree with him but um marketability absolutely needs to change within the culture of hockey
0: yeah and that's um maybe a culture thing i mean there's the talk of you know uh canadians are. i mean it's a canadian game canadians are 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 too nice. They're nice to a fault. They're not overly demonstrative or showy. Uh, you know, there, there's that yeah. you know yeah. stereotype of their personality. And given that this is you know a Canadian game, and, and it's so deeply rooted in that um, in that you know personality, uh, that is something that is probably going to take quite a while. I, I don't know that that's something that you know you'll you'll get out of the game anytime soon Um, another thing that I thought was interesting uh, in the interview was Charlie talking about you know the guys in the room and how what a good group it is yeah are are they too nice like like that's that's a great question (laughs) I mean and and hopefully you know bringing in guys like Niskanen and Braun can can can, you know maybe give them the kick in the butt they need but you know it's, it's great to have a great you know, group of guys in the room that, you know, you always want to be in a work environment that is, you know, positive and all that stuff. And they have a good core. But they have a good core it, with veterans, too. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, they they do. Um, and there's there's no denying that. But is it like the whole time he was talking about that? I was thinking to myself is the room too nice, like for their own good.
1: That's interesting. It really is interesting. Something to give some thought to. Let us know what you think of anything we talked about with Charlie O'Connor. Feedback at com. We would love to read your email here on the show and respond to it. Len, I am excited for this Flyers season to start. Maybe it's just because I really miss hockey. Maybe it's just because I can't wait to see Kevin Hayes on the ice. Niskanen, I can't wait to see some of the new acquisitions. I can't wait to, I actually can't wait to see how the third and fourth lines are going to be shaping up. I'm excited for Flyers hockey, man.
0: Yeah, well, and that's going to be, you know, even before you get to the season, um, following those positional battles um, is going to be interesting because, like Charlie said, it's not really, okay, definitely third line winger. It's there is a bottom six spot open, and depending on who wins that spot depends on how the bottom six is configured. But it, maybe that's the better way to look at it, it rather than, though, there's a third light winger spot is there's a bottom six spot available. And yeah. that's, that's what the spot is. So um, I think before you even get to the, to the regular season, uh, watching that battle unfold is going to be perhaps the most interesting thing of all.
1: Absolutely. It's going to be interesting. It's going to be fun. That's going to do it here for us this week at the Philadelphia Sports Table podcast show. Make sure you're following us on social media, of course, and Twitter at philadelphia pst you can follow me on twitter at jeffrey underscore warren len at len hunsicker and eric at brick Pollitt. uh speaking of eric wasn't on during the interview there huh len
0: <laughs> yeah well, well we'll see we'll see if he's on tonight when we record the first part of the
1: show <laughs> yes we'll see if that happens but uh, also follow us on try to say like our facebook page and follow us there on facebook and instagram at philadelphia sports table and of course subscribe to our youtube channel as well gotta get some new content up there i've been saying that now for months so i promise it's gonna get up there people it will any final thoughts len before we head out this week i have none none sounds good to me take care everybody (laughs) we will catch you next time